The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. How many of you are like me and you absolutely love that song? Um, it, is, um, it is for me one of those, right? I mean, that is the ultimate truth. Like when you walk with God, when you, it's like, I, I don't care where you bury me. Like, please. Please, I'm just going to announce it now. Like, don't buy me some expensive coffin, right? Because I won't be there. I don't want it. But somebody build me a pine box is what I prefer. So before I start reading my will, let me pray. Um, and then generally, I'm a fan. Anybody else a fan? Like, let's go country gospel as often as we can every now and then. We get a little, everybody's okay with that? Okay, good. I'm going to lead us in a, in a short prayer. Lord God, I, I thank you. Uh, that we are a people that don't believe that these bodies are our ultimate place. We're a people that believe this world is not our ultimate home. And so God, we're here for a purpose and we have meaning while we're here and there are things that you've called us to do. But God, we believe that we will live differently when we understand that there is another place that's truly home. That the place that you lay our bodies really ultimately, Lord, it's not where we're kept, that we belong to you. And so, God, we pray that as we uh, open the scriptures together today, as we contemplate uniquely today what it means to be your church, that you would speak to us, that you'd guide us, and that you would help us to be the people that you made us to be and the church that you made us to be. We pray all of this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. So Ecclesia, just right off the bat, I'm gonna say you're welcome, and you don't even know what you're thanking me for. Um, But you are uh, thanking me because we have been looking, uh, as we have gotten things launched at Ecclesia on the west side, uh, for a number of months after the craziness of Harvey, we realized one of the really important things we needed to do is take um, so many of you through uh, our new members class. We call it Open Door. And it's an invitation to go, hey, let me tell you exactly what our church is about. And what we find is that especially people just in broader culture have an idea of what they think church is, and Ecclesia um, blows up some of those stereotypes for them. And that for even many of us, we come in and go, I kind of get who we are, but I'm not sure why we do this or why we do this or uh, a number of those things. And so instead of um, trying to set up a bunch of those, both for your schedule and mine, Um, where I try to pull you out on a weeknight, especially in West Houston as summer approaches and kids are running around and all this is going on, we decided that we would do our open door class at church on Sunday. So I'm going to share with you how many of you have been to the Ecclesia open door experience at some point. So a good number of you that have been around long enough to know. And so some of you, you're going to remember some of this and some of you have already forgotten most of what I said to you uh, back then anyway. Uh, And hopefully it'll be a good refresher. So my goal today is that you would leave and you'd be able to go like, if I'm really in at Ecclesia, what does that mean? Like, what kind of church are we? And why do we believe uh, that we exist? For me, that comes from um, a unique story, right? Starting Ecclesia, both in my family um, and just the personal experience that brought us here to Houston. Um, I told you recently when I was talking about what we do with the Astros that um, the, the instigator that made me finally make the move to Houston. I'd started a church in Waco, Texas with my buddy David Crowder. He was a musician. We played music together, and we thought we'd start this little church, and we'd have a few people. And within 
the year of starting the church, the church was close to 1,000 people, and I was 23 year old, three years old and had no idea what I was doing, but I knew ultimately I loved Waco, Texas, but I would not spend my life in Waco, Texas. And I was brought in as a consultant um, on a church plant in Atlanta, and the church plant had a lot of funding and some churches behind it, and without me anticipating, at some point in the journey, they decided, really, I shouldn't be the consultant, I should move to Atlanta and be the pastor, and so at one of these meetings, they kind of present this whole thing to me. We've raised a million dollars, you can hire a great staff, you move to Atlanta, and instantly, without hesitation, I said to them, I cannot pastor that church, I hate the Braves. Um, <laughs> And for me, like the reality was like, nobody will come to that church. I'll get up and preach about how I hate the Braves and nobody will come to that church in Atlanta. Like, I don't belong in Atlanta. I, I belong in Houston, Texas. I'm an Astros fan. I'm a Houstonian. I'm somebody that belongs in this city. And so for me, it was as clear as it could ever be. Like, I gotta move to Houston and we gotta start a church. And uh, for me, that journey comes from a family of pastors. So my dad is a pastor. My grandfather is a pastor. My grandfather was uh, at one point the moderator of the Baptist Association um, here. And, uh, and he preached in this building a few times as the moderator of the association came and was present here. And there's stories so intertwined with, uh, with my life. And I love my family. And I love the fact that I um, heard the story of Jesus in the churches I grew up in. I can also tell you um, that as I grew up in the church, I watched people um, treat, particularly the pastors, but almost everybody, um, with a level of disdain. And I saw so much that seemed deeply unchristian. I saw a level of hypocrisy that at times made me want to walk away uh, entirely. Uh, there are a number of things that intervened in my story that I think uh, reminded me that the story of Jesus is powerful and real, um, and that uh, the hypocrisy of people wasn't a reason to walk away from a loving God. Um, a lot of that came to a head um, in high school for me. Um, I went to high school at Clements High School over here in Sugarland, and, uh, and I learned in my final years of school that I had a, a gift of leadership, and that if I just shared the story of Jesus, I started a little Bible study my senior year in high school that was in part a reflection of a job that I just um, taken on a year before. I got the most unusual job in high school. I was a lifeguard and a pool manager in the summers. And then I had a friend, his name was Pete. Pete was, uh, at the time, I bet he was in his early 60s. Uh, Pete was an alcoholic and a diabetic, and uh, he would struggle with both of those addictions deeply. Pete had lost his uh, eyesight and uh, lost his right leg just below the knee uh, because he literally just couldn't stop um, this addiction, both to sugar and alcohol. And so Pete created a company, and the company had the strangest mission ever, and I became uh, one of the only employees of that company. Uh, my job was to go to AA meetings, um, and at these AA meetings, there would often be featured speakers that would come in and talk. And my job was to go to an AA meeting, record the talk, and then I'd go back, back when we had, a lot of you kids have no idea what this is, but we used to listen to music on these crazy square things called cassette tapes. Um, they were plastic and absurd. And, um, and we would take those, record, and then I would have this machine and I'd make tons of recordings and we'd sell those because people that were in recovery wanted some encouragement when they were in the car and they wanted to hear some things. And what I learned was at AA meetings was that these people were totally the opposite of my experience in the church. My experience in the church was that um, the churches I grew up in, when you came into the church, you put your best foot forward and you basically pretend, pretended to be way better than you really were way better than you really were. Now, 
Um, some of you may notice this might be a tendency just in the culture in general in West Houston. Anybody notice that ever? So if you compound that, and you're already doing that in the culture, the idea is put your foot forward, you better look like you got it together. And then when you get to church, there's this added spiritual pressure. Like if you really know Jesus, then you really have it together. It created an environment where hypocrisy could kind of thrive and where nobody really got to know each other because they weren't really being real with each other anyway. I experienced that in the church, and then I got this job going to AA meetings, strange job for a teenager, but that's what I did. And you go to AA meetings, and one, it was clear when you came in, this was a safe place. This was an anonymous place, and nobody was gonna use what you said against you ever. And in fact, if you really wanted to be helpful in an AA meeting, if you really wanted to be helped in an AA meeting, you started talking about what you really were, what you really did, what you really struggled with. And I watched these people bond and love each other in a way I'd never seen in the church. And when I saw it, I thought, if the church could be like that, where people really didn't fake it, and they leaned in in beautiful ways, that would be a gift. And it started me on a journey. So I started this Bible study my senior year in high school, and I thought I'd have five or six of my friends. And and it didn't take long, and we'd have 70, 80 people. I'm leading this little Bible study, and it became part Bible study, part AA meeting, where people could just say, hey, this is kind of what's going on in my life, and this is what I'm struggling with. And I found that that kind of Christianity that was authentic was contagious. And it birthed an idea in me, maybe, maybe church could be different, and maybe I could be a pastor of a church that wasn't exactly like the churches that I grew up in. And that's what I want to tell you about today. So, and how we describe ourselves. We are ecclesia, which from the beginning, people come in and go, what is that? It's on this new sign on Piney Point. One day you're gonna be able to see it when they finish all the construction and all the craziness. And people, what's an ecclesia? What is an ecclesia? And an ecclesia is very clearly, it's the Greek word in the New Testament for church. It just means church. It's why I don't call our church ecclesia church, because to me it's like saying church church. So. I just say we're Ecclesia, we're Ecclesia Houston, we're Ecclesia on the west side. And um, Ecclesia is just the Greek word for the called out ones, the ones that are gathered together, the ones that come together with a sense of purpose and mission. So today, my job is to, to, as best I can in a brief amount of time, to explain to you how we've always described ourselves. We are Ecclesia, Houston's holistic, missional, Christian community. I want to share with you each one of those words, why I think they're important, how they define who we are. The first one, I could preach a whole sermon about. Um, I'm thrilled that I get to pastor a church in Houston, Texas. I think it's the greatest opportunity in the world. I think living in this city is one of the greatest opportunities in the world. I love everything about it. I could preach a whole sermon just on the Tex-Mex in this uh, city. I could preach three or four on our sports teams and what you learn from suffering for so many years, waiting for a championship, right? I, there's so, I mean, literally, there's some good sermons on perseverance and all of those. Um, I, I think ultimately, I love our diversity. I, I love the fact that the city that I grew up in is not the city I live in anymore. It's the same, but it's different. People come from all across the globe. And what that means to me is I get to meet all kinds of people. I get to be walking down a mall. And just, right, it's Ramadan right now. When you meet a Muslim brother or sister during Ramadan, what, what should you say to them? Any Ecclesians that have been around long enough to know? Ramadan Mubarak. Just say, blessed Ramadan to you. And this is what you'll have happen, especially if you look like a white 
West Houston Christian person, people are going to look up at you and go, what, what did you say to me? I said, blessings to you at Ramadan, Ramadan Mubarak. And all of a sudden, you're going to find you got a friend. you got somebody who wants to talk to you. Why? Because you just noticed that they were present. And if you want to affect the world, I think Houston, Texas is the best place to do it, the most ethnically diverse city in the United States, which means people have come from all across the globe. We're going to send people back all across the globe. If you want to have an impact in Nigeria, move to Houston, Texas, and get to know some fabulous Nigerian people. Just get to know them, walk with them, share with them. Literally every country on the globe you can impact from Houston, Texas. I love it. That also means for me that the food here is amazing. So you can get any kind of food anywhere you want. I mean, just today I uh, I noticed a new uh, Middle Eastern market that's taken over a Walgreens. We didn't need another Walgreens. We needed another Middle Eastern market, right? And so it's filled with all kinds of beautiful delicacies. You can go, go down Bel Air and you can eat some of the best food on the planet for like $4 on Bel Air. It's just... Turn in anywhere and go in and eat. Um, I could, again, this is way longer than it's supposed to be, the Houston part of this, because I, I love the city. What I love most about our city that I think is different than that evil city just four hours north of us that starts with a D <laughs> is that I think that city and most others um, have this kind of southern sensibility that says who you are it really matters who your parents are. It really matters that if you came from money, you didn't come from money. Now, I'll just tell you in Houston, Texas, it's almost a deficit if you came from money. The idea in Houston, Texas is who you are is what matters. And if you'll shake somebody's hand and look them in the eye and tell them I want to do a good job, they're going to trust you that you might and they're going to give you an opportunity. I think that's amazing in this city and I don't know any other cities like it. I told you I could preach a sermon. I barely started. That's the Houston part. I think it's amazing that our church gets to be based in the greatest city, I think, on the planet, if you want to have an impact in the world, Houston, Texas. So we're Houston's holistic, missional Christian community. Holistic's a big word. It gets thrown around in different places, but let me tell you what I think we mean by it. What we mean is that faith, if you have faith in Jesus, it ought to permeate and affect every part of your life. There is a certain kind of idea about faith that you've got a spiritual life and you've got a secular life, right? You've got the spiritual life over here and you kind of maintain your spiritual life. In fact, the churches I grew up in, people would go, how's your spiritual life going? If somebody asks you that question, I want to encourage you not to answer it. It's not a valid question. You don't have a spiritual life. You have a whole life. One of the best ways I can tell you... um, how that fleshed out, the story I've always told in the open door classes that uh, years ago, I spent a lot of time writing books. I wrote like six or seven in like a six-year period because Ecclesia was just getting up and going. It was the main way I could keep food on the table. And so I'd just stay up at night after my kids went to bed. I'd write another book and write another book. Now I'm old. I have very few ideas. I give you all my ideas. I haven't written a book in a while. But uh, I wrote this book called The Tao of Enron, Spiritual Lessons from a Fortune 500 Fallout. And I was fascinated with the Enron Fallout for a number of reasons. One, it was important in our city. Two, was that Ken Lay was at the helm of this company, and Ken Lay was the son of a Baptist pastor, and I'm the son of a Baptist pastor, and I couldn't figure out how you grow up in a home like the home I grew up in, and you end up uh, being the captain of the ship that had such ethical downfalls. I just couldn't figure it out. And so I sent Ken a letter, and Ken responded, and I ended up getting a lot of time with Ken Lay, and I'd sit with him and visit with him at a time that he didn't have many people to talk to. Ultimately, his lawyers didn't let me use a lot of what he said to me in the book, but it was fascinating to have a backstory for what was going on. And generally, Ken and I got along really well. One day in particular, I was meeting with Ken. We were eating Tex-Mex, and and I took a really big bite of queso because I needed to 
garner the courage to say, Ken, I just came back from meeting with a lady who's a longtime employee at Enron. She has MS. She also was diagnosed with cancer. Two pretty tough diagnoses. And she lost her health insurance because Enron's collapsed. And I just asked him, I said, is that something that keeps you up at night? Like the thought of all that happening, the sense of responsibility, does it bother you at all? And Ken's word to me, I'll never forget. He looked at me straight in the eye, said, Chris, no, it doesn't. Business is business, faith is faith, the two don't intersect. And I had to say to him really clearly, I'd been very um, gentle with him most of the time. And I turned to him and said, Ken, that's not true. That's not true. In fact, the Bible is crystal clear that we've got one life and that everything we do reflects the God that made us. And how we treat people in business is a part of our faith life. And how we talk to our neighbors and how we talk to our kids and even ecclesia, how we eat and care for our body. The scripture tells us that our body is the temple of God, right? And so how we care for our physical bodies is a spiritual thing. There is no dichotomy between spiritual, physical, business. It's all one world, right? And so um, for each of us, we gotta figure out how do we care for our bodies, right? So if, if you're in this place and you eat Whataburger six times a week, like that's a spiritual problem, right? And I say that because I've just been on a road trip with my 15-year-old, which means over the last few days, I've eaten more Whataburger over the last four days than I have over the last four years. Um, and the reality is, like, I don't know what they do with that sweet and spicy bacon burger. I don't know how they, but if you eat one of them, it makes you want another one and another one and another one. So um, the, the problem, right, or the gift, is that we've got to figure out faith is holistic. And when you know Jesus, it ought to affect every part of your life. And we believe that at the core of who we are at Ecclesia. We're Ecclesia, Houston's holistic missional. And this is a really big one. To be missional is a, a word that I didn't hear growing up. I heard about missionaries. And most of what I knew about missionaries was that the goal and order of sharing the news of Jesus would be that what we had to do was transport churches like our churches to other places. In fact, most of the mission movement of the last hundred years has been exporting uh, a Western European white version of Christianity across the globe. It's been a massive failure. And what I learned, I was given a book when I was in college at Baylor by uh, a great professor who cared enough about me to know, hey, the books we're reading in class, you're not really into, but this book right here is gonna really impact you. And he gave me a book by a guy named Leslie Newbegin. It was a book called Foolishness to the Greeks. And this was the story of Leslie Newbegin. It'll help you in understanding who we are, because literally our church wouldn't exist if my professor hadn't given me this book. Isn't it crazy to think? Like these small intersections totally change you forever. Leslie Newbegin was, uh, grew up in Birmingham, not Alabama, England. Uh, in Birmingham, England, he grew up and he spent his life, he decided and was called to be a missionary at a time that to be a missionary, he went to India, and literally in India, what they were doing was exporting pipe organs and choir robes and teaching people to be white European Christians. And Leslie Newbegin thought, as I read the Bible, that doesn't seem necessary. It seems like you could be an Indian Christian and listen to music and wear clothes, and reflect a world that is uniquely Indian. In fact, that's at the heart of the gospel, just so you know. The beauty of Christianity is that we translate our Bible into every language, right? We're not Muslim. You don't have to learn Arabic 
to be, right, as, as Muslims, you learn Arabic to read the, the, the Quran. You don't have to learn Hebrew or Greek to read the Bible. We actually believe that it should be translated in every language and that the gospel should live uniquely in every culture, that Jesus came for all people, and that doesn't mean, all right, it especially doesn't mean you would act like white Europeans. In fact, if anything, you would act like ancient Middle Eastern Jewish people, right? Um, and so the beauty of Christianity is that it spread this way. Leslie New began started churches in India that were uniquely Indian. They had Indian music. They developed a unique Indian theology. And Leslie Newbegin then spent his life serving really faithfully in India. He came back to England at a time in the 1970s that um, he'd left thriving churches and he comes back and the churches are dead. And he began a conversation to say, the work I've been doing in India needs to happen everywhere. That this idea of an old church model that's just transported to different places uh, doesn't work. What we all have to do is engage people in the culture and discern how does the gospel live uniquely in this place. This is what you need to know. The gospel is gonna live uniquely at Ecclesia on the west side in a way that's different than anywhere else in the world because this spot is different than anywhere else in the world. And so to be missional means that we're not a people afraid of the culture. In fact, we thrive in the culture, bringing the good news to the culture. Now this was um, a totally new idea to me because I grew up in churches that were deathly afraid of the culture. So, so much of what we did growing up in the church was trying to teach you how to stay away from the world. Anybody grow up in a church like this? Or we had rock music seminars to talk about how bad the music was, right? And scare you. And literally, they've got secret messages backwards that are somehow getting into your brain, right? The science of it doesn't make any sense, but we could get a bunch of people worked out and, and literally everybody was worked up in fear because the world was out to get us. Now, if you think the world's out to get you, you're not going to be serving the world very well. You just hide in your little pocket of the world. So Leslie Newbegin was offering a new world where we would actually say, let's engage that culture. Now that old idea that I grew up in with the church was based on this one primary um, uh, uh, functional premise, right? And the functional premise was uh, the world is dangerous, and when you get exposed to it, this is what happened. Garbage in, anybody heard this one? Garbage out. Whatever comes into your brain, your brain is a sponge, and it simply absorbs what you see and hear. So whatever comes in, your, it's, your brain's going to absorb it, right? Now, there are a few problems with this, right? Anybody, Lena, have you, have you ever struggled with this when you've heard it before? This idea that we don't have the ability to discern what's true, right? Just because you listen to a song, do you believe everything in that song? I hope not, right? But if you're trying to tell people to be afraid of the world, you gotta say, stay over here or all those people will infect you. And what we believe actually, what, what, what happened was I started to read as a young kid, I started to read a teenager, the book of Daniel. And what happens in the book of Daniel is fascinating when you grow up in a church that says garbage in, garbage out. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are taken out of a context in Israel or Judah before they're defeated that I think was probably a lot like living in Houston, Texas in the 1950s, right? In the 1950s in Houston, Texas, if you were going to pray at a football game, which God would you pray to? the Judeo-Christian God, right? Or the football God, often. There's, there is a separate football God that's not answered my prayer, so I don't believe in him. But uh, if you prayed wherever you were, in, in Houston, Texas, just generally assumed it's the Judeo-Christian God. We live in a different city now. It's much more diverse, radically diverse. 
And so they were taken out of the context in Israel, and they were brought, 586 BC, Israel and Judah are defeated. Archaeologists can find it really easy. When you're there on a dig, you just find a layer of ash. Everything was burned, everything was destroyed. A few people were kept. Um, and Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are often known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you've got kids or little brothers and sisters on Veggie Tales, they're Rack, Shack, and Benny. Um, most of us think that that's the real story. There's bunnies in the story. It's good to actually read the Bible version from time to time and actually reacquaint yourself with the real version. And what we know in Daniel chapter one is that um, these bright, handsome young men, very intelligent, were brought into the Babylonian school and the intention of the Babylonian school was to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian way of life, to suck them in. And so what we find in Daniel chapter one is that they were taught in this school. By anybody remember the teachers or instructors or professors in this Babylonian school? It's in the Bible. Right? They were taught by magicians and sorcerers and pagan priests. They, they were taught uh, the ways of the Babylonians down to, you know, this is what sorcery looks like. And they were brought in at the end of chapter one to a, uh, an oral exam, right? Um, and it was a big oral exam. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, brought them in and would quiz them on whether or not they had learned the material, whether they had become essentially Babylonians, if they knew the facts of all of this. And uh, now, how many of you remember taking an oral exam, right? The most stressful test that you can possibly take. So just add on to that the reality that Nebuchadnezzar was known for killing people if he didn't like their answers. So, um, again, give me an essay, and I'll find some way to connect the information I have with the, the essay question, right? I'll, I'll make a link somehow. When you're given an oral exam, I remember having one uh, in, in a seminary class where it was literally, right? It was, uh, a professor could see your weak spots, right? So, I remember her saying, but what about on page 386 where it says, and I had to go like, I'm really poor, and I bought a used textbook, and it didn't have page 386, and... I don't remember, you're just exposed, right? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah come in for this oral exam with Nebuchadnezzar, and he says they were 10 times wiser than the people that taught him. They knew sorcery and magic and all the pagan religions of the Babylonians. They knew it in their head, but it didn't make them magicians, right? They actually lived this life that was really faithful. Everything they viewed, they viewed through the grid of what they knew of Scripture. And when they were offered food from the king's table that they knew they weren't allowed to eat, they didn't eat it. When they were asked to bow to a statue that represented the nations, they didn't do it. They lived right in the middle of culture, and they tried to be as faithful as they possibly could. This is the model that we seek at Ecclesia, to say we're a people that are not afraid of the world. Right? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Right? We want you to live right in the middle of the world. We just want to figure out together how are we faithful in that place. Hans Kung, a great Catholic theologian, puts it this way, that these are two fatal flaws for the church. What we have to do is figure out how to live right in that middle space. The tendency is going to be err on one side or the other. This is what Hans Kung says. He says, one of those fatal flaws is what we call syncretism. It's where we take some other worldview and we intertwine it with Christianity to the point we no longer know the difference. We just swallow whatever the culture has and then we put kind of a cross on it and we go... We have a new version of Christianity. Uh, years ago, I wrote a book called The Gospel According to Tony Soprano, and this guy sent me a long email. It was literally like a 12-page email. And it was a proposal. He said he's super into The Sopranos. He's into uh, The Godfather and Mafia films, and he's kind of obsessed with organized crime. And he said, what we need to do, you and I, it's a proposal. We need to create together a Christian mafia. So um, he said, you can be the boss because you wrote the book, right? I blocked this guy and deleted him. Like, you can't can't take organized crime and Christianity and intertwine the two, right? 
Um, you can't take anything in Christianity and intertwine the two. It doesn't work. That's called syncretism. On the other end of the scale, you've got something called sectarianism. I got these great charts that I created professionally <laughs> earlier today on a piece of paper. I, I did tremendous work on this, right? The other thing is sectarianism. So that's the other end of the spectrum. It's not where you swallow the culture whole. It's where you're so afraid of the culture, you pull away and you become a sect, an S-E-C-T, right? And you go, those people are going to infect us if we're out there with them, so let's stay over here. There's this spot. I drew it very faithfully, right around the middle, right? And it's right in the middle is where we're called to be. Trying to figure out, we're going to live in the world. We're going to try to be as faithful as we can while we live in the world. And we think that's the missional posture we want Ecclesia to have. So my hope is that that's the kind of church you can invite your friends and your neighbors to and that we can actually live in the midst of the world very faithfully and beautifully. We're Houston's holistic, missional Christian. This one's kind of a super big one. Um, Oftentimes, um, especially in the culture we live in, uh, if you are thoughtful, if you are Uh, engaging, if you are open to be in relationship with people, there's this idea, uh, and I've heard it expressed to me many times, people have come to Ecclesia and go, I'm so glad that I've been looking for a more Unitarian church that I could be a part of. And I have to look at them and go like, you don't know where you are. (laughs) Because we are these people that, we are like super into Jesus. Um, We're these people that really fully believe with all our being in our heart that God came down in the person of Jesus, fully human, fully divine, and lived a flawless and sinful life so that he could teach us how to love, how to share, how to be the people he made us to be, and that in his death, he changed everything by atoning for our sins. We believe that at the core. Now, in a world that doesn't always understand Jesus, this can be really confusing. In fact, years ago, the Houston Chronicle sent out uh, a columnist that came and visited Ecclesia. It was in our years at Taft. And the guy came out, and this, uh, I won't share you, with you the whole review, but generally, he said, a lot like you would experience here, he said, I came in, and I liked the people. They served great coffee. They had a lot of younger people than I've ever seen at a church. Uh, they had a lot of energy. People talked to each other. He said, there was a lot of noise, and noise is good. Noise means people like being together, just like before our church service starts. Everybody's here talking, and it's almost like Matt's got to really kick up the music to get over the noise to say, like, here we are. We're here together to talk. And he said, I love so much about Ecclesia. Then he goes on and says, where Ecclesia falls short, both for itself and for me, was its theology, which I describe as salvation only through Christ. He said, it was as I expected, but the emphasis on Jesus being the only way not only doesn't speak to me, but it doesn't speak to a growing number of Americans. Several recent religion research polls, including Barnum and Pew Forum, are indicating that American Christians are becoming more accepting of other paths to salvation. I think Ecclesia would speak to even more people if they practice and profess a more pluralistic theology and invitation to Jesus. I don't have to read all of it to you. You get the gist of what he's saying. And his take is, like, really, to be a good Christian, you need to not be a Christian. So, We just have to say, like, we are guilty as charged, right? So this is one of those places that, like, we really, really are super into Jesus. We think that's part of what it means to be a Christian. Now, here's where the misunderstanding lies, is that I think our friend there, and maybe a lot of other people, think that Christianity is this older, white European version of Christianity that's only for some people. And that's where we go, that's just not what we find in the scriptures at all. In fact, the reality is 
that Jesus uniquely has a love for everyone, that it's so unique the way that Jesus loves. In fact, um, in the early days uh, of our church, we bought this place, right, and we're down in the Montrose when the church is starting. And, and I often had this sense of like, Jesus would be in Montrose, right? Our first night in this building, we bought this building and um, we'd just done an asbestos abatement, which was totally depressing. It took all the money that we had and money that we didn't have just to tear the place up. And we're thinking, I don't even know how we're gonna make the next payment. I'm walking through this building and it's a disaster. And I hear this noise on our patio. Somebody's on our property. And I go out and look and I find four of the tallest women I've ever seen in my life, right? And I suddenly realized that I'm in Montrose and that these are not women. Um, <laughs> it's easy to forget where you are in Montrose. And uh, so the first people that I invited into our church building to serve hospitality, I had these Mexican Coca-Colas and I just poured them over some ice. And, and I realized then, it's like, you know what? If Jesus shows up in Houston, Texas, he's coming to this street corner because Jesus was all about the outcast. He was with the prostitutes, the neglected, and the left out. You gotta hear this, Ecclesia. When Jesus shows up, he's gonna move right through Piney Point, right? He's gonna be headed in the direction of the people that are most ostracized and most left out. And if you don't know that about Jesus, then you think that being a Christian means you're exclusionary. We would say just the opposite. The only one that's ever truly loved everyone is Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, he gives you a love for everyone. That'd be the point that if you were gonna amen, it'd be, a, it'd be a good moment for it. We're Houston's holistic, missional, Christian community. We'll close on this one. Um, oftentimes the church has been received uh, like an institution. An institution that needs to preserve itself, that has power. Uh, we ultimately believe uh, that the greatest power that we have are um, the relationships that we get to build together. And a lot like I told you, like going to an AA meeting, what I learned was when people are real and honest with each other, they develop bonds that are so significant. And that if people play the church game and try to put their best fit, foot forward, they never actually get anywhere. They end up not serving the world and not really getting to know one another. So one of the best things we started doing at the beginning of Ecclesia when we start small groups, and I need to tell you now, we have the need to start a lot of small groups here on the west side. So we got two services. We got a great number of people and we got a lot of them that need to connect in Christian community. You, there are two things you can bring to the table in this. One is some of you have a house that would be a great house for a small group. Um, some of you are gifted to be a leader of a small group. Sometimes those two intersect. Um, sometimes you're like, I could lead, but I, don't, I think somebody else's house would be better than mine and we'll help pair you up. Um, but one of the things we've done at the beginning of our life at Ecclesia is we've invited people to share their stories in their small group. Now what this means is you get a chance over a great meal to tell your life story. What's your life been like? What have you been through? And uh, through the years at Ecclesia, especially in the early years when I was one of the only staff members, I would often get this phone call the night before people are telling their story. And basically they would call and say, Pastor Chris, I'm telling my story tomorrow. I think it'll be great. I, if it's okay with you, I think I really need to tell like the PG-13 version of my story. Because if I tell the real version, the R version's gonna freak people out, right? And so what I found was almost everybody had this deep-seated belief that if they really told the truth about who they are at their best and their worst moments, that what was gonna happen at that small group was people were gonna literally throw over the chairs, 
and walk out and go, I'm done with you. So I've been to over 100 of these at Ecclesia, and this is what I've seen every single time, without exception. When people get to these hard places in their story, places that sometimes they carry some shame, what happens is every chair in the room moves closer to them. People start inching their chair in. And often they start putting their hand on them in a way that says, hey, I'm not leaving you. And the strangest thing happens, it's those hard, dark moments that bond people together that really become the glue in relationships. And for a lot of people, they leave going, man, I'm so relieved. The fact that you're that messed up makes me feel a lot better about myself, right? In a strange and yet beautiful kind of way, right? And the truth is, if we look around at friendships, and if you wanna form friendships, they're always, you've heard me say this before if you've been around Ecclesia, they're always formed out of the places of our brokenness. If you've got deep friends, you're not connected to them because you looked at them one day and go, you are awesome and I'm also awesome. We are both awesome, we should be friends. What happens is you look at them, you are so broken. <laughs> and in some of the ways that I'm broken, and we could really be a blessing to each other as friends. We actually connect in those hard and difficult places. And so our goal at Ecclesia is not that we'd be an institution, in fact, just the opposite, that we'd be a family and community. And what that means at a missional church is when I do a gathering like this, we do an open door, I tell you about who we are. The invitation is not to say, hey, will you come spend a lot more time at Ecclesia and really get involved in the core of leadership at Ecclesia? That's often the goal. In fact, for most churches, when you have a membership class or you go through, it feels like the invitation is to say, will you move to the center of our church, right? So I, I professionally designed just before the service with my piece of paper a... Um, my little bullseye here, right? And this is often what's understood to be the journey. This next one has an arrow on it, right? And this is the, the idea is that you would take people from attending or in the community or in the congregation and the goal, the momentum, the movement forward is to be right in the core of the church. Um, that that's, that's the ultimate goal. Um, in a church like Ecclesia that's deeply missional, it, our goal is actually very different than that. It's not that everybody would be right in the core of the church. What I believe the movement God's called us to, again, a professionally, beautifully designed piece, is that we would be moving together. It's more like a funnel. And the ultimate place that we want to be headed is the kingdom of God. It's the thing Jesus always preached about. It's this place where uh, God is king and God reigns and everyone has enough and we share from our abundance and people are treated equally and beautifully. It's a place of beauty and hope and justice. And our goal were these little dots, perfectly drawn connections. And our goal is that all these little dots, what we're trying to do is grab people along the way and say, come with me. We're moving together towards the kingdom of God. And we're saying to other people, come along. Let's go together, not to the core of leadership at Ecclesia, but to the kingdom of God. And that we want to reshape this city. And because we think this city is so important, this city will be a part of reshaping the world. And we think that is a beautiful mission. Now, as we begin to do that, um, many of you know what it takes. It takes people that are ready to serve. It takes people that, this is what we believe. This is what I do in an open door class, and you didn't sign up for it, so you're like, I totally didn't sign up for this, and yet I'm here at the open door class. But my belief is that God sends us every person uniquely with unique gifts to do things we wouldn't be doing otherwise. So what I don't want is you in the middle of the core, just all of us trying to figure out how to plan the service. Like, Matt and the team, they do a great job at that. They're gonna figure that out. What I want you to do is go, what's the neighborhood in Houston you wanna impact? Like, what does it look like to bring who you are in a unique way to transform the city and the world? And along the way, 
We believe if we empower each of us to do that unique work that God's gonna create a beautiful church and gonna establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. As we've gotten this church started, many of you know it's been a beautiful journey because of the generosity and the partnership uh, with Memorial Drive Baptist. We've moved into a beautiful campus. And what we need, though, along the way are people that serve and also people that will help fund what we need to do to happen here. So, so far, we've spent about $700,000 renovating two of these four buildings. We've got more to go. Um, we also have many of you that come and say, you know, at some point, and a lot of people on the west side end up making their gifts in December. But what I need you to know is that um, we have expenses before December. So, um, I'm grateful that some of those gifts will hopefully come in in December. Um, but so far, as we kind of run through who we are, and even with a, a lot of people, we're running a pretty good deficit at the beginning of the year. Now, you're starting something new, it's gonna happen, but right now it's about 180,000. And our invitation is to say, hey, if everybody, if you're in, would you figure out how to serve? Would you figure out how to go on and say, whatever you think maybe you're gonna make, would you create some kind of recurring gift and donation to say, I'm gonna be a part of this church. And I'm telling you, I don't know if you've figured it out already, but we've hired some amazing people on this campus, like really great people. And, um, and we are preparing uh, for what I think is gonna be a beautiful adventure as we get to bring all of our gifts, all of our hearts together in this journey. So what I'd like to do before we take communion is just take a moment to pray over you and to pray God's blessings on you and upon the church that he's called us to have. So thanks for letting me do an open door class that you didn't know you were going to. And uh, <laughs> and I hope it's been a blessing and I hope it gives you not only the sense of like, hey, what am I in for at Ecclesia? But when people ask me like, why is our church different? You can go, well, my pastor took a job going to AA meetings, so that's kind of weird. But, but it opened the door for us to realize, like, we wanted to be a different kind of church. And they go, like, you guys are super welcoming to everybody, right? Like, so you're a Unitarian? You can go, like, we are totally not Unitarian. Let me tell you why we're super into Jesus. So my goal is not just to tell you, but that you'd be able to tell others um, who, what we believe and who we are and how we can live out a life of faith that I, I believe um, is in one of the most unique and beautiful parts of one of the most unique and beautiful cities on the planet. Lord God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the chance that we have together today to contemplate what it means to be the church. And Lord, we realize that for many of us in our background, some different than mine, we grew up with different misunderstandings of who the church is. And Lord, we know that this side of heaven will never see perfection. But we do pray, God, that we could be an accurate representation to our city and the globe of your love because we believe that you love all people and we wanna be a part of sharing that love. We thank you, God, that you've given us brothers and sisters around us, none of them perfect. Lord, we pray against any temptation that any of us would feel to try to appear to be better than we are. We're all your sons and daughters and we're struggling. Life is difficult at times. And we're trying our best to be faithful and kind. And yet, Lord, as we walk this path, we need the help of one another. And so, Lord, lead us into authentic relationships and authentic faith. We thank you today for this bread and wine. We believe that it's a reminder for each of us that we belong to you. And so, God, even as we break this bread, we're reminded that you love us just as we are. Lord, this reminder of a Passover where you came and rescued your people from slavery in Egypt, 
And it was not because of what they had done. It's because of who you are. And Lord, we've been rescued in the same way. You've rescued us because of who you are, even when we have failed. We thank you as well for this cup, for this wine and juice. And today, God, we ask you to bless it. We pray that as we come to this table, that we'd be reminded that we are forgiven. And if we're forgiven, we have nothing to fear, we have nothing to dread. And that in that forgiveness, we'd live a life of love that would be contagious to other people. It would never be the kind of Christianity that's become toxic and harsh and judgmental. It would be just the opposite. That we belong to a Christ who has a love for all people and that leads us to be more loving and more kind and more hospitable. Lord, may it be so. We pray all of this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Ecclesia, let's join our voices together in this prayer of confession. Titus is going to come and lead us as the celebrant, and then we'll pray together as the people. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.